Welcome to the Antioch Initiative Podcast, a podcast about the unreached and topics related to giving them access to the good news of Jesus. Hi, this is Nick with the Antioch Podcast, and I'm here uh, this evening with Tim, a global worker from Africa. And Tim, I want to say thanks for coming and being a part of this podcast. Of course, glad to be here. And you know, Tim, uh, you're amazing in lots of ways, but one of the unique things about you is the people group with which you work. Uh, a group that is uh, Muslim, but they're not just Muslim. They are um, oftentimes, I don't know how to say this, but they're just, they have this reputation. Uh, Somalis. There's just something about Somalis when and, and when we talk about reaching those with the unreached with the gospel and people hear the word Somali and all kinds of things come into their mind. And uh, and so it can be good. It can be bad. It can be challenging. It can be, ooh, I mean, all kinds of things. Uh, wh- why is that? What is, I mean, what is it about Somalis that um, makes people so intrigued? Well, that is a fascinating question. Um and I, I think the truth is that there are going to be a lot of great answers to that question. I'm happy to just kind of share the things that are in my heart from my experience about that. Um, I remember when we were living here in Minnesota at one point, uh, our heart was for Somalis. We were uh, spending a lot of time with them. And uh, I came across an article in a newspaper uh, about something that was happening here in Minnesota. Um, the state of Minnesota had some funding for home health care. Right. So they were going to help provide money to companies that were going to do home health care because it's so much less expensive to take care of elderly people in homes right. rather than put them in institutions. Sure. And in this article, it talked about how the state had uh, emptied out their coffers for the whole year within a matter of several weeks, suddenly. Wow. And they did some research into what it was, and it was the Somalis. Wow. Because the Somalis uh, were already taking care of their elderly in their homes, and they sure. realized, oh, we can get state money for doing the very thing we're already doing. <laughs> so wow. they just made little businesses and went through the hoops and signed up and then just, like, sucked the coffers dry from the state. Wow. And so it's stories like that, of course, that kind of stick with people in their minds about yeah. who these people are and what they're like. Or, of course, they became so notorious for being pirates. Yeah. Uh, in the early 2000s, you had these real stories of yeah. Somali dudes in, like, a little fishing boat. Right. And I've been Captain in... Captain Phillips. That's right, Captain Phillips. Like, I've been in boats like that. They're usually made in Yemen. They're these little Arab <laughs> boats. They put a little 40-horsepower engine on the back of it. I mean, it's literally like they're in a little fishing boat out on the ocean, and they're literally taking massive oil tankers captive uh, using these little boats. So like that's kind of sticks with you in your head. Um, And then, of course, there was a lot of imagery that happened in the 90s. There was a civil war that went on for a long time and a lot of people died. And there was a whole and and America. um, Black Hawk Down. We had Black Hawk Down, right? We lost soldiers there. So that sticks in our memory. So like there's all these things that come together that paint sort of a picture. And when you put all those things right up next to each other, like that's where your brain goes story after story after story because that's what's coming out in the news. Sure. So so obviously that's one of the reasons why this people group kind of sticks in people's minds. Um, I think in the missions world they stick in our minds because 
Um, there's been over 150, maybe even 170 years of uh, the work of God happening there. People who love Jesus, who are trying to tell Somalis right. about Jesus. And to date, we feel like there's still so little fruit mm. um, of the church. Right. And so that's something that kind of sticks in our minds about it. Um, so I think people who who want to connect with Somalis are going to have to come to terms with this issue in their minds. How are they going to see, how are they going to see Somali people? Right. Um, are these stories about them going to be that primary thing in their mind? Are they going to be driven to try to help because they think Somalis are really bad people? Right. Um, are they going to be driven because they think they're a broken nation or something like that? And I remember praying one day about this because I was troubled by it myself and troubled by the way that they had used that money in sure. the state and other stories that I'd heard about. And I just remember at one point the Lord said to me, you know, Tim, there are things about the Somalis. I made them the way they are. Mm. Um, I'm the one who made them so resourceful sure. um, and have this ability to find resources and use these resources. And there's reasons why I made them that way. And when I started to really reflect on God's image sure. inside Somali people, that was very transforming to me. Yeah. And so whether you're working among Somalis or wherever you are, I just would really, uh, I would commend that line of thinking. Yeah, well, you just said wherever you are. Yeah. Um, that kind of, and you also mentioned Minnesota with Somalis. Yeah. Um, and yes, we are in Minnesota right now. And yeah. yes, there are a lot of Somalis around us. But um you typically think of a people group, Somalis being in Somalia, and they are, but um, it does seem like there's a large diaspora population of Somalis. Or what? What would you? What is your? What's been your experience? Or what? I mean, where sure. where are most of the Somalis in the world? Yeah. So I really do think that the biggest concentration of Somalis in the world is in East Africa. Sure. Um, the highest, like. You know, you do have a geopolitical nation, Somalia, that's going to be all Somalis that are in there. Right. Um, but as a result of the war, and even before the war, you know, the, the, those lines, those the geopolitical lines, those country lines, yeah. the borders, they weren't drawn all necessarily by the Somalis or the Ethiopians. There were others, usually colonial and Westerners, who helped draw those geopolitical lines. So they didn't always draw them around people groups. Yeah. That wasn't the thinking, of course. And in some countries, there would be no way to do that. You'd have all these tiny little countries, of course. Sure. Um, but the places the Somalis are predominantly is in Somalia, and then they would be in Kenya. So especially sure. in northern, northeastern Kenya, there's some areas that are very, very Somali. Wow. Um, then in in eastern Ethiopia, okay. there's a whole area uh, called the Ogaden, and there's a lot of Somalis, even 100% Somali areas there. Right. Um, and then they're in, also in the country of Djibouti. Okay. Uh, the southern half of Djibouti is predominantly Somali, uh, a Somali place. And then, of course, <laughs> Somalis have made their way everywhere in the world. Sure. Um, Norway, Finland, you know, places in Europe. China, they're active in China, in Australia, uh, and, and and here in America. So, uh, yeah, Somalis are wonderful nomads who know who love to explore the world and uh, look for resources that they can bring bring home to their their tribe, their clan, um, sure. from around the world. And yeah. they are doing that constantly. Now, you just mentioned clan, so yeah. this was uh, not necessarily something we sure. planned, sure. but yeah. 
uh, can you talk just a little bit about clans and how clan culture affects? Yeah. Um, when you're, especially when you're wanting to reach out to Somalis, how does the clan culture affect that? Um, I guess the thing that I can say from my experience is, it does affect it, and I think you may never know how it affects it. Mm. I would not say that, you know, I've been around thinking about Somalis, praying for Somalis, spending time with them for over 20 years now. And I wouldn't say that I now know, oh, clan is going to do this. Right. I know for sure now that clan is affecting things as I do my gospel witness. Wow. Um, and I'm realizing more how much that clan issue is at work in their lives. I, it's been said by people with a lot more experience than me, and, and I find it to be very true now. I actually think the clan issue has more impact on a Somali's movement and choices and how they're what they're thinking about as they consider coming to faith in Jesus I would say more than Islam even does Um, now they're very very hard to disentangle because the way that the clan works is that Islam is the thing of the clan sure Um, but I think, yeah, I think it has a massive, massive effect. All right. Well, that that brings to another question is, so how are Somali Muslims unique from other Muslims? And you just mentioned the clan aspect. So, but maybe other things that you say, if, you know, the, the Somali, they're, you know, we say Somali, well, Somali Muslims is almost synonymous. So, because they go together, so unfortunately, so tightly, but how are, how are they unique? I guess I do think, I mean, I do think that that clan issue is massive, um, mm-hmm. although I think people who have lived along, among other Muslims, after you've been there long enough, mm-hmm. I think you start to see how the other societal, other ways that they form their community and their society, mm-hmm. Islam is definitely there, but I think you begin to notice, oh, I think that's not just an Islamic thing. I think that that's a community issue. And so I don't know how that's totally a unique thing for Somalis. I think it's more there present in other Muslim countries, cultures than we realize. Sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know that, you know, that Somalis are necessarily just particularly unique in their Islam. Sure. Um, like so many other Muslim places, there is an actually a large variety of Islam practiced among Somalis. Sure. It's not just one strain of it. Um, we've lived several places among them, and there's different versions or different. Right nuances that are more important different things some of them are more connected to a more conservative islam some of them are more connected to a political islam some of them are more connected to uh so yeah yeah i i do think that there is more diversity among them actually as muslims than i ever would have thought when i was first learning about them it was just all like sure to be somali is to be muslim and that must mean there's this this one thing but very much now I have discovered, you know, there's a huge amount of uh, variety, sure. even among from person to person. Um, now, it's difficult to see that at first. Okay. 
So that's probably something really sure. important to keep in mind. That's you, probably true in a lot of cultures. I think it's true. When you're coming in, you don't know what you, you don't know. There's so many nuances are in yes. cultures that you don't recognize yes. right away. Yes, yes, and and so I would say that that actually does. I mean, I just let me get a plug in for that long-term commitment to a work. Sure. Um, there just are things that we do not see, we do not know, we do not even know that we don't know them until we have been there long enough to begin to begin recognizing that. And I just want to commend uh, that in an age of things getting you know shorter and shorter sure. uh, in every way of life. You know, sure. quicker, faster well, is always better. Well, you've you know you and your you know your family have yeah. served as you mentioned about 20 years in this community, yeah. so that's wonderful. Uh, and you already mentioned about Minnesota, yeah. so um, you would have some perspective about how. It's different in some way how it could be different anyway, I'll say. Uh, yeah. Reaching uh, Somalis yeah. in the States yeah. mm-hmm. uh, versus in Africa. Totally. How, how would it be different? Um, I think when I look back on my, my time here, I think I probably would have been a little bit more forthright. I don't know if that's even the best word, but I might have gone more quickly to a spiritual conversation about Jesus mm-hmm. um, here than I might have in some other places. Sure. Um, I also think, though, that there are ways about being around Somalis in America that is more difficult. Like, I'm immersed now in essentially a Somali culture where I live. Sure. And so everything I do, I'm interacting with Somalis for the most part. Right. So it's not hard for me to kind of have my whole life surrounded by it. Everything I'm doing, I'm engaging with it. There's lots of touch points for me. I think when you live in Minnesota, as many Somalis as there are here, it still takes a tremendous amount of intentionality to fill your time with those kinds of touch points and relationships. Definitely. Um, And so I think that that is not an easy thing to do. Um, And I think, you know, using each opportunity to be that person that listens to the voice of the Holy Spirit and tries to engage with what the Holy Spirit is giving you to engage with in that moment is really, really um, the most important thing that people can do. Wow. Yeah. Well, you're already moving into uh, the next question, which was going to be like some tips for reaching out to Somalis. And you just kind of mentioned listening to the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. No, I really think that that is a critical thing. Um, I really... One of the things that I think is a gift that the Somali people give to the church broadly is um, they help us realize that there's just no silver bullet in Mm. this work. Right. Um, You know, every kind of possible methodology and new way of doing it has been tried with Somalis. And there's just no silver bullet. And the truth is, God loves diversity. Sure. Um, he likes to work in a lot of different ways. And uh, he likes to get the glory. And so that's a gift that they bring to us. Now, having said that, um, I absolutely think that working to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, literally just stopping, being kind of fanatical almost to stop and Mm -hmm. at the beginning and say, you know, Holy Spirit, I'm about to go spend some time around some Somali people. 
I really need you to do something. You, I think you probably have something on your heart yeah. that you want to do for somebody or you mm-hmm. want to share with somebody, mm-hmm. whether it's a moment of care and concern, a moment of love, whether it's a word from the Bible or if it's a, a work of healing or prayer or whatever, you know, all those different things. But to really take that moment to tune into the spirit and say, is there something that you want to give right. um, to these people? So uh, I would say that's probably the most important tip that I could share with people. Sure. Um, and then I would just, you know, uh, they, there are, they are a fascinatingly, uh, they are very adept at reading our psychology. (laughs) They, they can see through our I don't know, facades. Right. And so I think that working to be authentic Mm. is a huge tip. If you can look for a way to be authentic in the situation that you're going into, if you feel like you're having to drum up something and somehow be fake or false or kind of just have this false something that you're putting forward, guess what? I think they're probably going to see right through that and they're going to feel it. Um, And that inauthenticity will be, I think, a barrier to the gospel. And so, hey, what can you do to be authentic? What can you share that would be authentic? The good news of the gospel is we're sinners and Christ knows that. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he loved us anyways. And sin is so serious that he dealt with it in enough of a way to deal with it. Like, is the most serious way to deal with sin was for God himself to carry sin. And so, if there's a way to connect with your own sinfulness and be honest about it and to find a way to, to share about the working of the gospel of grace in your life, I mean, that is very authentic and that is going to, I hope, can get to the heart of the gospel for, for people. Wow. So, Yeah, I think, I mean, that you're just talking about sin. That's um, Oftentimes it seems like Muslims have a very low concept of that. And um, and so yeah, you're actually sharing. I had not thought about that. Sharing about that in your own life, yeah. Maybe God can use that to also speak to them, yeah. Uh, to realize that yeah, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, um, and the wages of sin is death. <laughs> yeah. The gift of God is eternal life. Yeah, that's that's good. Wow. Um, wow. I, well, I you know many times they'll ask me like. Why don't you just become a Muslim? And just like, <laughs> what, what's your what's, what's like one you. of, what's one of your best responses when they I, ask I, that? I just like to say I could never do that. And and then you'd say I could, I could say I can never do that. I say um, my sin is far too great. Wow. To become to ever become a Muslim, and they're like, no 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 no. You don't. It's like no. You don't understand how serious my sin really is because you're right their definition of sin and my definition of sin are very different traditionally yeah and when i i really do feel like a connection with what sin really is Mm. salvation good news is good news because bad news is bad news right Right. and if you don't know what the bad news really is then you don't really know 
why good news is good news. And so finding ways, and and of course that behooves us to like connect to what is really seen in our lives and all that. But um, yeah, I I just find that trying to find a connection to the seriousness of sinfulness. um, That's good. Wow. Powerful. Wow. I, um, I wanted to ask you about just some, maybe a breakthrough or two or something that God has done, um, you know, rather recently anyway, yeah. that you could share um, yeah. in the lives of Somalis. Let me, let me take this from a couple of ways. One, let's just look at it. Um, I believe there are more people in the world who are praying for Somalis and the Somali nation and Somali people today than ever in the history of the world. Um, I know, certainly for our organization, we have more people in the field today who can share the gospel in Somali with a Somali than we've ever had in our history. Wow. And we're not the only organization that has that's sure. had that kind of a thing. So these are really, really significant things. And I just think there's a significance to that kind of a thing. When people are praying, God is doing something. People sure. are engaging. You know, Somalis got on the world screen for whatever reasons. And mm-hmm. now we're a lot of us are praying for them and talking about it. So I think that's very one very encouraging reality. Um, I'll just I'll leave you with uh, a story about Alice. Wonderful. Alice is uh, not yet a follower of Jesus, but she has been studying now uh, for about two years. She's had uh, on and off studying. And Alice is an encouragement because she has already made it known that when she chooses to follow Jesus, there's no way she's going to be able to do it quietly. Mm. She really is convinced that to follow Jesus means to share about him and to be open about what you have done. Right. And she also equally knows what that might cost her. Wow. She's a single woman. And which means in the Somali culture and in so many cultures, um, that's a very disempowering position in society to be in. Um, she doesn't, she can't provide for herself. She's expected to essentially be really underneath her family's um, direction in her life. Yeah. And especially because what she does is going to have an impact on her family's honor. And so she's very, very seriously considering that. And, um, We had a member, a friend of ours, who became sick. He's an American, and he was diagnosed with some pretty serious cancer. And when Alice heard this, um, she was asking, like, well, does this person know Jesus yet? Wow. Even though she has not yet chosen to follow right. Jesus. Because she, she's just said, like, I think Jesus is the answer. Like, he's the right. way to go to heaven. Right. And then she also wanted to make sure that we were praying for him in Jesus' name for healing for this person. Sure. Because she believes that Jesus can heal. Sure. And so I love Alice's story. And, like, literally, like, literally today her story is in process. And I love her story because it gives us these two things. One, the beauty and the power and the magnetism of Jesus Christ. He's yeah. beautiful. He's magnetic. But also the seriousness of the cost for people who are going to choose to follow him. And that seriousness is for us. Right. How are we going to, what will we do if she chooses to follow Jesus? What's that going to mean in her life? But of course, for Alice herself, what does that mean? Um, is Jesus really worth it? Right. And uh, that's an important question for us to all be wondering about. Is Jesus really worth it? Wow. He's worth it. <laughs> That's good. Wow. 
Tim, thank you for sharing. Uh, it's been wonderful hearing from you and just uh, appreciate your insight and uh, wisdom and uh, hope we can have you back sometime. Thank you so much. Gladly. Thank you for listening to another amazing episode of the Antioch Initiative podcast. We encourage you to follow us on whatever podcasting platforms you use the most. Feel free to check out our social medias to stay updated on all future content.